and he's trying to lead other people, people to God. But but it's a God of his own his own making, a, a God that he has made that is subject to human control and manipulation, really. And that is not the God of the Bible. And as the Bible tells us, that rejection of the God of the Bible is the height of foolishness and arrogance. Hi, and welcome to One Little Candle, a place where genuine believers are encouraged, empowered, and inspired to be the light that God calls us to be by contending for the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his people so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. And in case you're thinking that you can't make a difference in your own little corner of the world, Yes, you can, because all it takes is one little candle. I'm your host, Rebecca Bershwinger. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Well, hello, everyone. How are you today? Thanks so much for stopping by One Little Candle. I hope and I pray all is well in your corner of the world. You know, this episode, I wanted some special fanfare for it, but because just so you know, this is my 100th episode. This this adventure, I wasn't sure where it would go, but I didn't I don't know as though I figured I'd have 100 episodes under my belt either, but I do and um Honestly, a lot of it is thanks so much to the Christian podcast community. I owe so much to them. Of course, I owe to God first and foremost, but the Christian podcast community, I thank them so very much and Andrew Rappaport for welcoming me in. But yes, episode 100. And well, I guess it's kind of celebratory, right? Because I am finishing off finally finishing off the series, refuting the book Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution, written by office actor Rain Wilson. And so this has been a long time coming. (laughs) For those of you that have followed me along, you're probably applauding. (laughs) But thank you very much for those of you who have followed me along with this. I, I really appreciate your your supports. As I had said before, it's been really interesting, hasn't it? And it's also been kind of crazy as well. But anyway, here we are, chapter 10 of the book. And chapter 10 is titled The Seven Pillars of a Spiritual Revolution. And as I had pointed out at the end of my last episode, when I ended uh, chapters eight and nine, the author starts out this chapter, ironically, with a quote from Albert Einstein that says this, We can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. (laughs) What have I been saying all along? The author's trying to solve the problem by reinserting the problem. He's using the problem as the answer. What is the problem? The problem is the suppression of God's truth. The problem is the worship of false gods, false religions, the refusal to worship the one true living God, the God who is truth. And so, unfortunately, we have the author of Soul Boom suppressing God's truth and inserting lies, the lies of the false religions, the false teachers, the false prophets, such as Buddha, 
uh, Native American paganism, Hinduism, Muhammad, Baha'u'llah of, you know, the Baha'i religion. He's using these things to tr- in an attempt to, to try to bring about a resolution to the problem of fallen humanity rather than submitting to the author of truth, rather than submitting to the God of peace, the God of love, Jesus Christ. He, as I've said over and over, he's very good at pointing out symptoms and identifying symptoms, but he falls far short of identifying the causes. He's clueless as to the cause. And he's using the cause as the solution to the the problem. So we are dealing with a double-minded man here who's written this book. And we're also having a, a look into his chaotic thinking. So for chapter 10 here, I'm just going to hit on some of the things that jumped out at me because most of it is, it's kind of repetitive. Uh, he, you know, of what he's been saying throughout the rest of the book and what I've been saying as well. But he does remind us in chapter 10 that we have a lot of flaws in our society, design flaws, as he calls it. And we have systems that don't work together in harmony the way that they're supposed to. So our author wants to build or imagine the perfect world. And he asks, what would the ingredients be to build this harmonious world? He says, we already know what the answer is going to be. I really don't need to take up much space in these pages to explore it. It's quite basic, really. The vision of what the aforementioned kingdom of God on earth looks like is like Star Trek. But instead of zipping around space, we're dwelling perfectly on our home planet Earth. Everyone gets along. And basically for him, the kingdom of God, not meaning God in the way that Christians know God, but for him, the kingdom of God is perfect harmonious unity amongst mankind that that's kind of the the core of it and in, in regarding the kingdom of god on earth well you know it's here right it was brought in when jesus came in his first coming we're working on advancing that kingdom right now and eventually it will all be completely here when jesus comes again his second coming But the kingdom of God right now here on earth is coexisting, not peacefully, nor should it be, but it's coexisting with the kingdom of Satan, as the Bible says, the ruler of this world. But the author says in this kingdom of God, there's there's no more war. He says armaments are just enough to defend a nation from attack. And when there are disagreements, the various countries of the world come together to work out their conflicts with the greater good in mind. Wouldn't that be great? The differences between our cultures, he continues, will be celebrated so that unity shines through a diversity of humanity. So obviously, if you haven't figured that out by now, he's, he's a globalist for sure. He's a global thinker. He says here in regard to education, he says education will be eminently available without any ideology or agenda except knowledge and enlightenment. Well, you know, you're not going to avoid having an education. Look at the public school systems, right? Um, You're not going to be able to have an education without an ideology or an agenda because people have such vastly differing worldviews, okay? They're going to clash. He says, most importantly, in emulation of Jesus Christ, 
We will all love our neighbors as ourselves. We will live in service to one another with kindness and care for the downtrodden and a deep respect for one another. Well, that is definitely the true character of Jesus, which we are supposed to emulate. However, the loving our neighbors as ourselves, well, that has been perverted. Um, How to go about it is what has been perverted because the world tells us that in order to love our neighbors as ourselves, we have to, in fact, embrace their beliefs, embrace their ideologies, even their behaviors. We have to look the other way. Don't call it out. Don't call sin, sin. In fact, celebrate sin. LGBTQ, perfect example. That whole movement, the transgender movement. Take, for instance, someone who's under the delusion that they're a boy when, in fact, they're a girl, or the, the delusion that they can be a boy one day and a girl next, and they can flip back and forth. You know, gender's, gender's fluid. Mm-hmm. But they're under this delusion, and if you don't go along with the delusion, if you don't call a biological girl a boy or, or call them by the pronouns that they are identifying as, you are accused of hate speech. And, of course, they at- attach a phobia name to you. I think, well, most of these people are what I, I call Christophobes. <laughs> Okay, they're ignorant and afraid of Christ and what Christ really stands for and his his precepts, his his commands. I don't know. But anyway, they feel that if you don't go along with their beliefs, you should be punished. Same sex marriage. You supply stuff for my my so-called wedding, my same sex wedding ceremony. You either bake me a cake or provide me flowers or write me a license, whatever, okay, or doggone it, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to shut you down. And there are people, by the way, who in fact go around and do this just so they can, in fact, shut people down. That's That's the sad part. They'll target someone that they know won't do it, even though there's a million other places that would provide them with the services they're looking for. But no, 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 that's not good enough for them. Because why? They're hateful. They're hateful to those who are refusing to succumb to their lies, to the lies of our culture. Hateful to those who are standing by their conscience, their biblical conscience, and are in fact standing by God, the very God that created them. So yes, the author wants to form a perfect world. He wants everyone to get along. So yes, the big thing for him is unity. But you know, I asked the question as I read it, Doesn't he realize that people have wanted or desired this throughout history? I mean, who wouldn't? Unless you're some evil dictator. We have a few of those. But in general, that's what mankind wants. So why hasn't it happened yet? In these thousands of years of man's existence, why hasn't it happened? Well, there's three things. There's three reasons why this hasn't happened. I'll name them. Number one, sin. Number two, sin. Number three, sin. (laughs) Sinful hearts. Man's depravity. That's why. Man choosing to function without acknowledging God, without a fear of God. So here is another part where he's right. He gets it. He says, we have a spiritual imbalance, a spiritual disease. And the answer, rather than being political, economic, or legislative, is primarily spiritual as well. Mm, totally agree with him. I totally agree. 
He says a spiritual solution for an essentially spiritual problem. He goes on to say, of course, we need to acknowledge that in part we have an innate adversarial nature, adversarial nature. Uh, He avoids the word sinful. We have a sinful nature. Mr. Wilson's creator says this, that we have a sinful nature. He says, but we don't need to be victims of those baser impulses. Well, he's right. We do have baser impulses. That's known as the depravity of man. Um, as far as being a victim to our baser impulses, well, yeah, we're willing victims <laughs> to our baser impulses or, or our sin. We're, we're in bondage to that sin. If, if we're not under the blood of Jesus Christ, if we're not living in the freedom that Jesus Christ offers us in salvation through him, we are living in bondage to those, uh, those baser impulses, unfortunately. So he wants to make a new model, a new model that he says is going to make the existing model of the way we do things and the way we do life obsolete. So he goes on to talk about the seven pillars, which you could potentially build this movement of creating a new world. And I'll talk about some of the seven pillars that he talks about. And I had already touched upon this one. And um, number one for him was creating a new mythology, because to him, Adam and Eve, the whole story of history, his story, God's story, um, history in the Bible is actual human history, but not for the author. And unfortunately, sadly, not for many like him. It's just a myth. It's a story. It's one of many told by uh, various cultures and religions. So in addition to creating a new mythology, he says, we're going to celebrate joy and fight and destroy adversarial systems. We're going to build something new. He says here also, don't just protest, systematize grassroots movements, invest in virtues education, and harness radical compassion. These are some of the other pillars. (laughs) Virtues education, that was number six. And I'm like, but the question is, whose virtues though? Whose virtues? Proverbs 1.7 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom scripture says ultimately comes from God and from and from a right understanding of him. Now we know the author does not in any way, shape or form have a right understanding of God. But this virtues education, education without the fear of the Lord. Um, almost useless. All right. They, they work hand in hand. Back to rewriting the new mythology of humanity. He says, what if we rewrote the legend of the Homo sapiens. (laughs) So he wants to rewrite the, as he calls it, legend of humankind, how humankind started. We know how it started. On the sixth day of creation, God created Adam out of the dust of the ground. God created Adam and he breathed life into him. All this took place in Genesis chapter one, (laughs) on the sixth day of creation. And then we know a little while later, as the Bible tells us that God created a helper for Adam, and that was Eve, the very first marriage. So a couple of pages later, the author goes on to claim that we are as human beings fundamentally good. He said humanity is one family and we are inherently good. Now that's a story for us to get behind, he says. Okay, but... What God tells us is that since Adam and Eve sinned, we are not inherently good. That that was lost 
when Eve took a bite of the forbidden fruit, when she listened to what Satan had to say rather than what her creator God had to say. And because of that, all humanity was plunged into sin. That became our nature. All of us, our original parents are Adam and Eve. We all stem from the seed of Adam. Okay. We are not inherently good. Actually, we are inherently evil. And in the last episode, I read several verses from God's word about that, uh, telling us of our sinful nature, that we're not inherently good. So the author basically wants to do away with the truth about man's fallen state. He says that this story, this new mythology of humanity, he said, we will not obtain this new story from any current world leader, politician, or internet personality, but rather it's going to be something that we all visualize, that we all create and hope for collectively. Hope. There's an idea, he says. This new mythology, this new story, this new big, big idea needs to have something in it that is unbashedly hopeful. Now he's right. But, Mr. Wilson, we already have that. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation. But that's not what you want now, is it? No, he says he wants to build a new world based on heart-centered wisdom. And, well, what does the Bible say about the heart? It's deceitful above all things. It's sick, desperately wicked. Who, who can know it? Well, God does. Yes, the heart is our problem, our heart and our sinful state that does not acknowledge God. Now he goes on to talk about fostering joy and squashing cynicism. He asks, to what extent is this wet blanket of hopelessness contributing to the deadly, overwhelming mental health epidemic that we are suffering from? And if you remember, that was addressed earlier in the book, um, the chaos that is currently causing this mental health crisis that our society is experiencing. And as I said before, the reason for this mental health crisis is because there is no moral compass, a moral compass that is supposed to be pointing to Jesus Christ. That is lacking. Also, they're putting their identity in the wrong things. They're rejecting an identity being in Christ Jesus. They're not being pointed toward the perfect one, the holy one, the moral one, Jesus Christ. That's why there's a mental health epidemic because man is just wallowing in his own sinfulness. He's in bondage to his sin. Anybody being in bondage is going to be depressed, <laughs> suicidal, all right? And then he, you know, he tried uh, to describe joy, and he said that joy was the opposite of cynicism. Of course, joy for us as believers, we like the acronym, which I think is totally appropriate, Jesus, others, and yourself um, in, in that order. So he goes on to say that joy, however, inherently acknowledges sorrow. It doesn't disregard the hard stuff. Joy says that life is hard, but there's a place you can go, a tool you can use. Joy is a force, a choice, something that can be harnessed, a decision to be made. You know, there is a place you can go. There is a place. We seek refuge in that place. It's God. God is our refuge. He's our rock. Over and over, we're told again in scripture, and we've seen it play out throughout history as we read it in the Bible. 
And we've seen it play out in our own personal lives and the lives of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. God is our tool. He's a place where we can go. That is why we can, in fact, experience joy in spite of our circumstances. In spite of being in terrible circumstances, we can experience joy. And then he he had a section in here titled, Don't Just Protest, Build Something. And he has many, many good points in this section. He just talks about the fact that people just get out there and they blindly protest something that, and without doing anything about it, okay? Just kind of just looking to, to rebel and, and do damage, really. Um, <laughs> but he says here, it's, it's far easier to send out an angry tweet about climate change than to collaborate with an environmental organization it's simpler to write an angry email about women's rights than to educate and empower adolescent girls regarding the underlying issues. It's easier to go to a march for a couple of hours than to research a problem. <laughs> and I, I couldn't help but think of um, what we're seeing and hearing right now as I speak on the Internet, on the radio, on the television, in the magazines, are, are the marches. And in particular, I am talking about the free Palestine groups, you know, the river to the sea chanters here. Most of them, when you interview them, and I've seen several inter- interviews with them, and I already know this anyway, I think you do too. It's, it's pathetic and it's disgusting and it's maddening and pitiful and hilarious all at the same time. How little these people know history or what they're even talking about or protesting over. Crazy, crazy, crazy ignorance in our society. Um, thank you, public school systems. I mean, the, the problem isn't just in the United States. It's around the world. But anyway, just a, a little side note there. But another ironic quote that comes out of him, he says, you don't fight darkness with more darkness. <laughs> When I read that, I was like, I can't believe you just said that, Rain Wilson. I can't believe you wrote that. Don't fight the darkness with more darkness. Listener, isn't that what he's been doing? And then he goes on to say, you fight the darkness by turning on a light. (laughs) Yep. You do fight the darkness by turning on a light. That is why I am refuting this book. I am that light. <laughs> I'm turning on the light. I'm using my little candle, my candle, to dispel the darkness that is just pouring out of this book. But you see, people like the author don't want the light to expose their deeds, to expose their hearts. John three nineteen through 21 says this, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, that's Jesus, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Um, yes, Jesus is the light of the world, not according to the author of this book and many others, but Jesus is in fact the light of the world. And well, the author denies Jesus's deity the fact that he's a son of God, and the fact that he died for for our sins. Okay. So yes, the author is fighting darkness with darkness. He does not see the hypocrisy. He does not see the inconsistency. Why? Like I said, he's a double-minded man, and he is just tossed about to and fro 
by the waves, by, by every wind of doctrine. As Ephesians 4.14 says, by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We've seen the hodgepodge of belief systems that he's tried to bring to the table here in order to promote unity of, of mankind and a new religion. He's, he believes so many things that just aren't true, and he touts it as truth. He goes on to talk a little more about spiritual virtues. A brief refresher, he writes, from a completely spiritual perspective, virtues are those attributes of the divine that we seek to cultivate in our hearts and through our actions. They are ineffable traits that we take with us when we exit this material plane. Soul qualities, characteristics that one thinks of when pondering God and the beautiful effulgence of his holiest of teachers, such as Buddha and Jesus. See, he equates Buddha equally with Jesus. Well, sorry, not so, not so. Mm -mm. He talks about the difference between uh, the definitions of pity, sympathy, empathy, and compassion. But anyway, this chapter was pretty much just him kind of reiterating what's been said or maybe going a little bit more into detail about the same old things, things that I've covered in all the other chapters. Again, I just don't want to repeat myself too much here. So he ends chapter 10 with this. He says, and there you have it, a compendium of some concepts we might draw on for our global transformative revolution, some spiritual solutions for some spiritual problems, pillars to build on. As I said, we're really going to need a few dozen more of these that have been fleshed out to a far greater extent and to a far more exacting degree, but it's a start. Because when I examine under the hood of the car of humanity, what I find is, and then he jokes around about how he needs to find a better analogy than looking under the hood of a car. He says, but you're going to need to read the conclusion to find out what that is. And so he has a conclusion to the book where he says, we dove into God and 70s TV shows. Together, we tackled the entirety of religion and even tried to build a new amazing one along the way. We explored all things profound, consciousness, the sacred and the profane the existential need for poetry. We dug into the spiritual phenomenon of death and what aliens might be saying about our civilization. And to top it all off, we examined global pandemics, diagnosed most everything that is broken about contemporary society, and laid out seven foundational concepts for a spiritual revolution. There is simply no way on the notorious G.O.D.'s green earth that I will be able to sum up the epic, rambling, sometimes profound, and sometimes ridiculous conversation we've been engaged in. He writes, yeah, <laughs> it has been, I have to say, a bit ridiculous. Um, a couple of pages over, he says, ultimately, I believe this entire crazy soul boom dissertation boils down to a single concept, unity. What we must seek in the spiritual revolution is a profound unity unlike anything humanity has ever experienced before. Well, already tackled that subject of unity. And as I said, there will be no unity, global unity, all of mankind agreeing, getting along, loving their neighbors as themselves. Nope, nope, nope. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen unless you remove all the unrighteous from the earth. That's it. You know, we are united. The world is united right now. It is united in sin. 
It's not united in Christ Jesus because that's what we need to be. Some of us are united in Christ Jesus. True Christians within the church are united in Christ Jesus. That, that's where we need to be. He says, as we suffer difficult tests, we draw upon that deep reservoir of wisdom from the world's great faith traditions. We know that the undefinable creative force, remember for him, God is just that. He's some sort of creative force, not someone that actually would have a personal relationship with us or who desires to be with us. He's more of a God found in art, music, nature, uh, one another, as he says, not an actual creator God that holds us responsible for sin. He says, to quote the narrator of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, we feel we are on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. That jumped out at me, broad highway. I circled those words in my book. Well, Rain, Rain Wilson is in fact on that broad highway, I would have to say. Most of the world is. Matthew 7, verses uh, 13 through 29, enter through the narrow gate, Jesus said, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets, he says. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Actually, that was Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 15. Sorry, not through 29. Look, you don't want to be on that broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe, as he calls it. They're walking hand in hand with the spirit. And I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. They are on that broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the world, which is Satan. God's word tells us this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, and he's reminding the believers of what they once were. And he said, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Talking about Satan. All right. We also have 2 Corinthians 4.4 that says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan, as I think I said earlier, he is the God of this age. He's been given a measure of authority on this earth for a time, and the world's system runs according to his design, all right? And that's why the wisdom that believers receive, all right, because I'm sure if Rain Wilson were to hear this for him, I, and it would, it's to be expected, I would sound very, very foolish to him because the wisdom that believers receive is from above. It's from God. And it looks and it sounds like foolishness to the world. 1 Corinthians one twenty one says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And so conversely, the wisdom of this world is foolish to God. And God's wisdom seems foolish to the world. The gospel seems foolish. And I'm sure it seems very foolish to the author of this book. So Rain Wilson's final words in the book are this. This is the transformation that humanity is inevitably moving toward, a profound understanding that we are all linked 
More than linked, in fact, we were never separated in the first place. Well, we are separated from God, right? I mean, yeah, we're, we're linked as far as being created in, in God's image. We're not all children of God because the Bible makes that clear. Only those who accept Jesus Christ, he gives the right to become his children. But we are all created by God and created in his image. That's why man is not an animal. He's above the animals, okay? But we are separated from God. He goes on to say, we are interconnected like cells in a single body, alive only in relation to one another, bound together, as the poet Rumi describes with the most powerful force in the universe. Love is the whole thing. We are only pieces. This sounds so beautiful and poetic, doesn't it? Uh, yes, the end of the book, like I said, most of the chapter was pretty much what we've already been talking about. But I'm going to follow up with my own conclusion here. All right. Final summary. Rain Wilson wants to achieve a global unity, a global religion. He wants us to all be peaceful and united with one another. As I said, who doesn't want that, right? But as mankind, we have different worldviews and we are all sinful. And most of the time, let's be honest, what man wants to do is to please his own flesh, to, to please himself. And that desire is never going to go away until sin is eradicated. The, the selfishness, the deception that sinfulness brings is always going to be here. Remember, our human nature, in spite of what the author says, we are not inherently good. He's trying to base this unity that he wants on man's inherent goodness. And there is none. He couldn't have this more wrong. Look around, rain. Look around, murders, wars, thefts, rapes, abortion, adultery, incest, pornography, cursing, swearing, lying, overindulgence, sexual abuse, same-sex marriage, you know, homosexuality, transgenderism, so much more. These are all proof that we are not inherently good. Now, can men do good things? Can mankind do good things in spite of, of it? Absolutely. Yes, he can. Thanks to God. <laughs> Thanks to the one true living God, the God of the Bible. You know, he's restrained us, really. If God were to completely take his hand off of us and leave us all alone in our sin to do as we darn well pleased, oh, how horrific that would be. Man's heart isn't right. We can do good. But the question is, and the Bible commands us to examine this, why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we doing it? Who are we doing it for? Because usually, as I just said, man's pretty self-serving. Um, his motives aren't always right when he does, quote unquote, good. Proverbs 16, 2 warns us about motives. It says, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. James 4, 3 says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. So God he knows our motives, all right? But again, our hearts are deceitful. And we're not always honest with ourselves about why we're doing something. You know, the Pharisees, they practice their so-called righteousness in front of others to be seen by them and to be praised and lauded for their so-called righteousness. So that definitely matters. That comes into play, the motives behind the works that we do. Still summing this up, the author doesn't recognize the fall of man, sinfulness, the doctrine of total depravity. He does not recognize Jesus Christ as the Son of God. 
or the forgiveness of sins through Jesus's death. So I'm assuming he doesn't believe in the resurrection either. So this book, I'm sure, sounds well thought out, poetic, organized, and sensible to those who do not know God, to those who are perishing. But for those of us who look at this and examine it through a biblical lens, the lens of truth, the lens of God's truth, we see it for what it is. And you know what it is? It's hogwash. Um, I see it for what it is. And I pray, I'm assuming that you see it for what it is. The author of Soul Boom suppresses truth just as described in Romans 1. And his heart is deceiving him. So in his mind and in his heart, he's enlightening people. He's, he's a guiding light, leading people up a righteous path towards, quote unquote, God. But in truth, he's misleading people. He's leading them over a cliff. He's leading them into the darkness to death. There's, there's a verse in the Bible that comes to mind when I think of this, and it's Matthew 15, 14, that says, Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And so here we have Rain Wilson, who is blind as to his own hypocrisy, as to his own sinfulness, as to his own deception. And he's trying to lead other people, people to God. But, but it's a God of his own, his own making, a, a God that he has made that is subject to human control and manipulation, really. And that is not the God of the Bible. And as the Bible tells us, that rejection of the God of the Bible is the height of foolishness and arrogance. You know, his reasoning is, it's, it's distorted, okay? It's, it's distorted. And so he's leading himself and those who may follow him, those who mistakenly believe what he says is truth, he's leading them both into a pit. That's, that's the pit of hell. So I'm going to end with this. I have good news and I have bad news for the author of Soul Boom, Mr. Rain Wilson. I'm going to start with the bad news first because that's the way to do it. The bad news for you, Mr. Rain Wilson, is this. You are lost. You're condemned. You're separated from God, the one true God, the eternal God, the one that you disrespectfully dub as the notorious G-O-D. You are dead Mr. Wilson, in your trespasses and sins, whether you realize it or not. You need forgiveness and you need pardon from the notorious G-O-D. God's word tells us that the wages of sin is death and you are in fact earning your wages right now. And there are two deaths that the Bible speaks of. The one that we really want to be safe from is the second death, the spiritual death, because as you correctly stated, we are spiritual. We are spirits. We're spirit beings. We have souls. Those souls are destined for eternity. Question is eternity where? Because this God that you reject, Mr. Wilson, he has gifted you with free will, and he will, in fact, allow you to go to the place of your own choosing. 
you, you reject part of his nature, which is anger and wrath, because you judge him according to your sinful self. You judge him according to sinful man. God is not man. He's not sinful. He's perfect, holy, and righteous. You have in so many words accused him of being childish, vindictive, and mean when he executes justice. You're, you're mistakenly judging him according to man's sinfulness, who doles out wrath in fitful outbursts, okay, often caused by pride and jealousy. But that's not how God's wrath is carried out in his perfect righteousness. His wrath is consistent, it's permanent, and it is just. But anyway, as I was saying, God's given you free will to choose where to spend an eternity. And as of this book, it very much sounds like you are choosing to spend an eternity in hell. Yes, hell, a real place that Jesus warned us about time and time again. Okay, you want to you wanna embrace teachings such as love your neighbor, but you want to reject his teachings about hell and the torment of the actual physical place of hell. You reject a God who's given you a choice and he's warned you. Okay, you can't say it's not fair or even unloving because he's warned you and he's given you opportunity to choose him. So your rejection of him, Mr. Wilson, is in fact your choice. You've been warned of the consequences of rejecting him, of rejecting his son, because if you reject the son, you reject the father. All right. You know, by, by worldly standards, Mr. Wilson, I would judge you to be a rather um, intellectual man. But see, your problem of rejecting God isn't a problem of intellect. It's a problem of the heart. It's a problem of the heart. You don't want to be held accountable for your sin. You don't want to seek forgiveness for your sin. You don't think you need to. You don't want to bow the knee to Jesus Christ as the Son of God, Savior, and Lord over all. That's the bad news. You're going to hell because you're choosing to go to hell. But I have good news for you, Mr. Wilson. I have really good news because, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be your eternal, your eternal fate. You do, in fact, as I've said, you have a choice. You have a choice. And the tragedy, I think, is that this choice is really quite simple. All you have to do is believe the good news of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that says, despite the fact that you, Rain Wilson, are a sinner, despite the fact that you're lost and you're doomed to hell, Jesus did, in fact, come to this earth to save you, Rain Wilson, from your sins. He paid the penalty that you were supposed to pay, and he paid it in full through the shedding of his precious blood on a cross. He who lived without sin bore the weight of God's wrath for you. He is willing to impute his righteousness to you if you stop rejecting him and the opportunity. He did this so that you might have eternal life in heaven. God wants to spend an eternity with you, and he made it possible. He made it possible through his son, Jesus Christ. But again, you must believe in order for that to happen. So I know this is a word that people uh, think is a little out there, but it's repent. 
You need to repent, Rain Wilson, repent of your sin, turn from it, seek forgiveness and turn from it before it's too late. Because you know, look, you like me and the rest of mankind, we all have an appointment with death. And only God knows the day and the hour when he decides to allow you your last breath here on this earth. And once you take that last breath, there's no going back. Once you're taken from this earth, unless you turn from your sin and to Christ before you die, repent of your willingness to choose a God of your own thinking, a God of your own desires, and turn to the one true God, you're doomed. Your hope is in Christ Jesus and Christ alone. That's your only hope. The only hope any of us has is in Jesus Christ. Look, I, I'm sorry if I at all sound, have sounded harsh, but this is serious. This is very, very serious. There's a lot at stake here. And eternity is at stake here. You know, salvation is not about what. It's about who. And that who is Jesus Christ, whom you've clearly rejected. You deny that he is who he says he is. And that the one that you reject, you want this peace, you want this unity. The one that you are rejecting, Jesus Christ, is the only one who can and will, in his timing, bring about that peace. But you, Rain Wilson, will not be able to witness it, to experience it, unless, unless you want to know how things play out. God's word tells us, read the Bible. You get a glimpse into the future, the future of all those who are in Christ Jesus. Hopefully that'll be you one day. All right, my friends, I hope you enjoyed this. Um, it was a bigger undertaking that I, I had planned on and I had some interruptions when the tragedies of October 7th happened and, and, you know, had a lot of distractions here on the home front as well. Yeah, there was some holdups here and there, but you know, God, he's still sovereign overall and he's still in control and it is what it is, right? It is what it is. Um, I'd like to take just a minute here to talk about the Christian podcast community, which this podcast, One Little Candle, is very, very blessed to be a part of. But the Christian podcast community has a lot of great biblically sound podcasts. It really does. And if you haven't checked them out, please go to christianpodcastcommunity.org. Listen to some of the other podcasts there. But what I wanted to specifically talk about is something called Theology Throwdown. And this is where once a month, Various members of the Christian podcast community come together and they discuss a particular topic. And some of us agree, some of us disagree with one another. Of course, we disagree in love and charity because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. But but yes, we, we choose a topic. And the most recent topics were Christmas. We did one at Christmas time about Christmas and Christians celebrating Christmas. We did one on Israel, what happened in Israel. And the most recent one, which we did a couple of weeks ago, was about Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg is a pastor of a rather large church in Ohio, but He's also a very well-known um, internet and radio personality, too. And I I have Alistair Begg's devotional book, and I uh, listened to him in my car on my way home from work 
every day. But he is kind of embroiled in a bit of a controversy right now over some advice that he had given to a grandmother who was uh, torn as to whether or not to attend her grandson's uh, same-sex wedding ceremony. Um, She made clear to her grandson where she stands, that she is, of course, supports God's view of marriage between one man and one woman only. But the advice that Alistair Begg gave to her was for her to go to that wedding ceremony and to even bring a gift. So as you can imagine, that's caused quite a stir within the Christian community. So those of us that came to the table for that, we discussed our thoughts and opinions on Alistair's advice, as well as whether or not a Christian should even attend a same-sex wedding ceremony. And actually, I did an episode about that very same thing. It was titled, Should a Christian Attend a Same-Sex Wedding Ceremony? Please have a listen to that. I think there's a lot of really good sound biblical guidance there. Uh, Perhaps you find yourself in that situation right now, or you know someone who is struggling and, um, you know, having some doubts as to what you should or shouldn't do as a, as a Christian. Yes, Theology Throwdown by the Christian Podcast Community. And you can find that on YouTube, Theology Throwdown, or you can find it through christianpodcastcommunity.org. So episodes coming up, I know I had shared with you that in early March, I will be recording an episode with author and former transgender Laura Perry and her husband, And I am going to do a reboot of the He Gets Us movement because there's a lot of hubbub about that, again, since all the ads put out by the He Gets Us movement during the Super Bowl. And so that has come to the forefront again. So I'm going to put that episode out after this one. And I have one coming up with my son, Joshua, Generation Z. We're going to do an episode of Making Sense with Gen Z, and we're going to talk about Christians and immigration, what the Bible has to say about immigration or aliens or foreigners living within our land and um, how we should be. So join me for that. Those are some things to look forward to. Oh, song for the day. I do have a song for you. It's called the Unity Hymn. I think it's perfect because we talked a lot about unity. Rain Wilson talked about unity. I talked about unity. And so I thought this song was perfect for it. It is from the album called Flourish, and it's put out by a Mike Donahoe. So check it out on YouTube. I'll have the link in the podcast show notes for you. But watch the video, too, because it was was pretty good. It talks or sings about us all being united, united in love, united in God's love. So, yeah, have a listen to that. But being that one little candle, how can you do that this week? How can you be that light? How can you dispel the darkness? Pray for Rain Wilson. That's what I'm asking. Put him at the top of your prayer list. How's that? He needs God. Not the God of his own choosing. (laughs) Okay? He needs the one true living God, the God of the Bible. He needs Jesus. And you know, there's many out there like him. So let's pray for him, them too. But pray that, that God, in regard to Rain Wilson, that God really gets a hold of him before it's too late, that the blinders are removed, that his hard heart is softened, and that someone reaches him with the gospel, that the Holy Spirit will enable him to have an open heart and an open mind to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to remove those scales from his eyes. As I had said at the beginning of this, he has a rather large platform. People still really, really love the show, The Office, and people 
really, really love his character, Dwight Schrute. So he has he has a big platform and he can do some damage with that platform. And he's going to have to answer to God for that, amongst other things. You know, we all have to answer to God for things in our lives. But yes, please pray for him. Pray for all those who reject Jesus. And if you know someone that needs to hear the gospel, please get to them. Please reach out. Do it this week. Do it this week. All right. If you have not checked out one little candle please come on over and visit. I have links to helpful ministries and a lot of things on there. And you can even listen to the podcast right there if you want. And of course, I would love it if you would subscribe. I try to get a, le- a newsletter out sporadically. You don't have to ever worry about me spamming you. <laughs> I'm just the opposite. But you can also follow me on Instagram as One Little Candle Podcast, or you can email me at candlestogether at gmail.com. I love it when I receive emails. And the last email I received was someone who actually, they heard me on Theology Throwdown um, with the Israel episode, and they really loved, I guess, according to them, what I had to say. And so I, I gained a listener. So stuff like that makes my day, just encourages me to keep going and Remind me that I'm not wasting (laughs) precious time, I guess so. Anyway, thank you so much for being a part of One Little Candle. I'm really, really grateful for you. And yes, episode 100 today, and I have so much more darkness to dispel with my candle here. Here in my, uh, what used to be my older son's bedroom, my spare room in my house, which is now my podcast studio. And it's just so amazing to be able to reach around the world from right here, but there's so much more to cover and talk about and guests coming up. And I'm, I'm just very excited about it. Yes, God is good. I'm so grateful he's allowed me to do this. I, I truly, truly am. But don't forget, my friends, don't forget who you are. Don't forget about the light that you are. Okay. Don't forget. All right, my brothers and sisters in Christ, until next time, you take care and God bless.